We start a brand new year uh, tonight at 12.01, and many of us are thinking about what that new year is going to look like. Psalm 148 and giving praise to God is a great place to start, don't you think? So would you pray with me as we begin? We begin. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, we've already prayed for the, the spirit of illumination, but God, pray that uh, as I bring the word, as I speak from Psalm 148, Holy Spirit, that you would enlighten our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I graduated from high school in Spokane, Washington in 1972, and if you do the math, that makes me 39 years old. <laughs> don't, don't I wish. Uh, that summer, a movie called Brother Son, Sister Moon came out. Some of you may remember that movie. Ostensibly, the movie is about the life of St. Francis of Assisi, who was, quote, the Italian mystic and Catholic friar, the patron saint of animals and ecology, who founded the religious order of the Franciscans. He was inspired to lead a Christian life of poverty and an itinerant preacher. I was a brand new Christian at the time the film was released, and when I saw the movie, I did three things. Number one is, I fell in love with Claire, who was uh, St. Francis's um, friend, assistant, and uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, I, I fell in love. Of course, that was before I met Debbie, who is brown-eyed and dark-haired. Second thing is, I made a determination to care for all of nature, especially the birds, and third, I took a vow of poverty. That is, until the ski season began and I put on my ski boots and skis and taught rich parents' kids how to ski. Francis composed a piece of poetry entitled The Canticle of the Sun, which later became the great hymn, All Creatures of Our God and King. Both the canticle and the hymn are based on Psalm 148. If you saw the movie, you might be led to think that Francis worshipped nature, sun, moon, stars, animals, etc. Not so fast, my friends. While it may be true that Francis had an exceedingly great appreciation for nature and for all created things, it's clear that first and foremost, Francis worshipped the God who created everything. It's a, in fact, a fitting subtitle for the sermon could well be Everything in heaven and on earth should praise the Lord. Everything on heaven and earth should praise the Lord. Psalm 148 is divided into two parts. Verses 1 to 6 have to do with everything in the heavens giving praise to God. And verses 7 to 14 have, have to do with everything on earth giving praise to God. So let's begin. Verses 1 to 2. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens Praise him from the heights. It's a good place to start. Praise the Lord. It's what we were created for and what we were created to do. And as Presbyterians, we all know the first question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, right? First question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is what? What is man's chief end? And the answer to the question is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. In other words, the chief end of man, the ultimate purpose of mankind, is praising God. I suspect that for many of us, 
Praising God takes place on Sundays and or during our quiet times, maybe around the dinner table, and perhaps when our head hits the pillow at night. It can mean all those things, but praising the Lord is more than Sunday worship, mealtime prayers, and sharing the gospel. Praising the Lord is about offering up our hearts, minds, and spirits to the Lord every moment of every day. Praising the Lord is about offering up our hearts, minds, and spirits to the Lord every moment of every day. Piece of cake, right? That doesn't mean we go around shouting, praise the Lord 24-7 after all we're Presbyterians, at least a lot of us are in this building. Rather, praising the Lord is to exalt and rejoice in who God is and what he has done, especially in what he has done to redeem you and me through the cross of Jesus Christ. I love this quote. Genuine praise contains both a rational and emotional element. With our minds, we must understand who God is, as revealed in his word. But also, when you understand who God is and what he has done in sending his own son to die for your sins, it affects your heart. At least, it should affect our heart. It fills us with joy and thanksgiving. So that's what praise is. It's understanding and rejoicing in who God is and what he has done. It is about offering up our minds, our hearts, and spirits to the Lord every moment of every day. Psalm 148 starts in heaven with the angels. Well, why there? Well, because the angels are in the presence of the Lord. They can't help but praise God. His glory is so great, his majesty is so awesome, his presence so overwhelming that they are moved to worship and praise. So think about the things that we praise. Ever been to a Seahawks game? Not a Packers game, Zach. A Seahawks game. At 1.05 this afternoon, there will be 68,700 maniacs dressed in all kinds of Seahawks regalia, screaming, stomping, cheering, and praising their beloved Seahawks. And I believe at 5.45 tomorrow, there's going to be a bunch of cheering on, dare I say praising, the beloved Huskies who are in the Sugar Bowl. How many Husky alumni do we have in the audience today? Okay. A number of us will be praising the Huskies. Go dogs. We praise people for their accomplishments. Children for getting good grades in school. Musicians for their performances. Thank you, choir, for your lovely performance this morning. And so on. Frederick Beekner, the Presbyterian pastor, theologian, and author wrote this. The way Psalm 148 describes it, praising God is another kettle of fish altogether. It's about as measured as a volcanic eruption. And there is no implication that under any conceivable circumstances, it could be anything other than what it is. The whole of creation is in the act. Their praise is not chiefly a matter of saying anything because most of creation doesn't deal in words. Their praise is not something that at their most complimentary they say, but something at their truest they are. 
Praise is not something that they necessarily say, but praise at their truest is what they are. And that's the way it is with the angels. Yes, they are in the presence of Almighty God, and praise, worship, and adoration is at their core who they are. As it says in Romans chapter 1, we worship the created things rather than the creator. That's what we do because sin has marred the created uh, world. Rather than praising and worshiping the creator, we end up praising and worship the created things. Now notice it's not just the angels who were created to give praise to God. It's all of the inanimate objects in the heavens as well. Look at verses 3 and 4. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. So the $64,000 question is, how can something inanimate or unthinking praise the Lord? And I think the most obvious answer is that all of these things call attention to the glory of their creator. As Psalm 19.1 declares, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies declare his praises. A number of years ago, a New York Times article reported that two Harvard astronomers had discovered a, a, quote, great wall of galaxies stretching hundreds of millions of light years across the universe. The wall, this great wall of galaxies, is supposedly 500 million light years long, 200 million light years wide, and 15 million light years thick. I can't even put my mind around that. So think about that. One light year is a little less than six trillion miles. One light year. So this great wall of galaxies is 500 million times six trillion miles long and 200 million times six trillion miles wide the Great Wall consists of more than 15,000 galaxies, each with millions and millions of stars. It's amazing. But wait, there's more. Just three months after that article came out, astronomers discovered more than a dozen evenly distributed clumps of galaxies that dwarfed this so-called Great Wall. In fact, the Great Wall was now seen as merely one of the closest of these clumps or regions that contained very high concentrations of galaxies. But wait, there's still more. Then the James Webb Telescope was launched on Christmas Day of 2021, and the editors of the journal Science wrote this, Within days of the telescope coming online in late June 2022, the researchers began discovering thousands of new galaxies more distant and ancient than any previously documented, some perhaps more than 150 million years older than previous discoveries. Boom. One commentator exclaimed this, the only reason that all astronomers do not immediately fall on their faces and worship the God who spoke these galaxies into existence is they, as it says in Romans chapter 1, their foolish hearts are darkened because they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. 
How could anything so vast and complex lead you to anything but praising our Creator? And God didn't have to work billions of years to create the universe. He simply spoke it into his existence by his infinite power. How can this idea lead to anything but praise? So verses 1 to 6 talk about the heavens and the heavenly beings and the heavenly bodies praising God. And verses 7 to 16 focus on the things of the earth. The psalmist begins with the ocean deeps and all the creatures that dwell there. Sea monsters refers to the whales and the great sharks and the squid in 20,000 leagues under the sea and Ursula, right, and in uh, the Little Mermaid. I don't think the psalmist had those characters in mind. But by the way, Melissa McCarthy plays a great Ursula in the 2023 version of the movie, if you haven't seen it. The point being that the psalmist had no idea of the vast diversity and complexity of marine life. But the more we learn, the more amazing we see that it is, and it ought to lead us into praising God even more. The psalmist moves on to the weather in verse 8. Fire and hail, snow and frost, stormy wind fulfilling his command, and one could add, also add tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, volcanoes, and the like. God's majesty and power are seen in the forces of nature which should move humankind to awe and to praise. The psalmist then mentions hills, trees, animals, including creeping things, Debbie, including spiders <laughs> and birds. In other words, all of creation bringing praise and glory to God. But somehow we got it backwards. Instead of worshiping God who created nature, there are many who worship nature instead of God, as if Mother Nature brought herself into existence and somehow controls the earth. And then we go from nature to humankind, and we see here that every human being ought to praise the Lord. Verse 11 starts with, Kings of the earth and all the peoples, princes and all the rulers of the earth, young men and women alike, old and young together, just like we have gathered here on Sunday morning. You see, in God's economy, no one is exempt from offering praise to God. John Calvin writes this, the kings, princes, and judges need special exhortation to praise the Lord because they tend to be enamored with their own power and glory. Doesn't look much different than what we see today. As leaders, the leader's main responsibility should be to lead us in praising God. Unfortunately, what we see in most of our leadership, whether it's in the political realm or even in the religious realm, they are too busy vying for power and praising themselves. The point is, all people from the greatest to the least should praise the Lord. As Psalm 159 verse 6 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So we praise God because of who he is, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. We praise him for his creative power that he brought 
all things into existence by simply speaking the word. We praise him for his sovereign control over all the universe, that it's in him that we live and move and have our being. But even more important is how the writer ends the psalm in verses 13 to 14. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above the earth and heaven. He has raised up for us a horn of salvation for his people. Praise for all of his faith that's faithful, for the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. So what did the psalmist mean when he wrote, he has raised up a horn for his people? Well, the writer is referring to the horns at the corner of the altar in the temple. In worship, the horns of the altar were, sprit- were dabbed with the blood of a sacrificial animal to purify the people and to make atonement for sin. The horns of the, horns of the altar speak of God's power of salvation And even more importantly, the horn of salvation points to Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah prophesies about Jesus. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Of course, Zechariah is speaking about Jesus. Psalm 18, 2 says it like this. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. The most profound reason for giving praise to God is that he has sent his son Jesus, our horn of salvation, who, as the angels told Jesus, told Joseph, will save his people from sin. So we praise God for who he is. We praise God for what he has done, especially in sending his son Jesus. We praise God because he has commanded us to do so. We praise him because we were created created to do just that. And we praise him because there's some very practical reasons, practical benefits as well. First, praise lifts your spirit. Praise lifts your spirit. Psalm 42, 5 and 6 says, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. There's a lot in our world to be discouraged about, right? You just have to look at the news, look around us. There's lots to be discouraged about. But when we take time to praise God, it lifts our spirits. It gets our eyes off of ourselves, off of our troubles, and puts them on Jesus. Praise lifts your spirit. Number two, praise helps you sense God's presence. God is always present whether you sense him or not. Sometimes we don't feel his presence, but it's not because God isn't there. When you don't feel God's presence, that's when you ought to praise him more. As someone has said, it's easier to act your way into a feeling than feel your way into an action. Praise helps you sense God's presence. Third, praise enlarges your perception of God. The Amplified Version of Psalm 69.30 says, I will praise the name of God with song and magnify him with thanksgiving. 
What happens when we look at something through a magnifying glass? Well, it makes it bigger. It makes it larger. When God gets bigger, our problems get smaller. Praise enlarges our perception of God. Number four, praise reveals solutions we can't see. We, ha- we all have issues in our lives that we can't figure out. At least I do. If you don't have an issue that you can't figure out, would you raise your hand? <laughs> but often through worship, through praising God, we receive the, the answer that we need. It's like the Holy Spirit suddenly drops the answer right into our brain. Praise reveals solutions we can't see. Number five, praise helps us develop an attitude of gratitude. We hear that a lot. Praise helps us develop an attitude of gratitude. Psalm 105, thank God, pray to him by name. Tell everyone you meet what he has done. Sing him songs, belt out hymns, translate his wonders into music. Remember the world of wonders he has made, his miracles, and the verdict he has rendered. Of course, that's the message translation of Psalm 105. My experience is that I can't grumble and whine and complain and praise God at the same time. It just doesn't work. So praise helps us develop an attitude of gratitude. Number six, I have two more. Praise enlists God's protection. In 2 Chronicles 20, we read about enemy nations who ganged up on Israel, and the only chance for Israel to survive was a miraculous intervention by God himself. So King Jehoshaphat organized an unusual battle plan. He put a choir in front of the army as they marched into battle. And the Bible said, as soon as the Israelites started praising God, confusion ensued and the enemy was defeated. Praise enlists God's protection. And finally, praise breaks chains and opens doors. Praise breaks chains and opens doors. In Acts chapter 16, you remember the story, Paul and Silas are in prison, and in the middle of the night, they they decide that they're going to have a prayer get-together. And as they praise, the Bible says the prison was shaken to its foundations, all the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of the prisoners fell off. The story is a metaphor of what God does for us when we praise him. When we need to be set free from a hurt habit or hang-up, as we say in Celebrate Recovery, we praise God. It will help break the chains that are holding you back. Praise breaks chains and opens doors. December 31st. What are you looking forward to in this next year? What kind of New Year's resolutions have you made? Wouldn't this be a great place to start? I'm going to start by praising God more. How can we go wrong with that? And I'll close with this. The Duke of Wellington, the British military leader who defeated Napoleon at Waterloo, proved to be an extremely difficult officer under which to serve. Brilliant and demanding, he rarely gave compliments to his soldiers. No doubt, due to mellowing in his old age, I resemble that remark, when asked if he would do anything differently given another chance at life, he simply said, I'd give more praise. May it be so for us.
in 2024. Amen.